Well, this morning, excited to dive in or continue in our series working through the book of Ephesians. I'm going to not talk about the Cubs right now. Instead, I'm going to talk about uh, the series that we're in. And maybe you have this uh, person in your life, and maybe you found uh, a growing appreciation for them, maybe over the years. The person that is the straight shooter, the person that isn't concerned about how you're going to receive things as much as making sure that you have important truth that's needed to be heard. Sometimes that person is maybe even possibly sitting right next to you uh, here in the room. Well, this morning, I would suggest that, that Paul is that person that's not necessarily concerned with being politically correct or uh, well-received by his audience, but he knows the information that he has to share is critical for his recipient. And if you think about it, as you grow, I think when I was younger, those people would be more annoying in my life. Now, as I've gotten older, I've grown to appreciate and love because I recognize what's driving the things, that, the truth that they speak is my well-being, that they have interest and concern in, in me. And so this is true for Paul as well. The things that he challenges us on this morning in our text are because he cares so deeply about his audience. So I'm excited to be in God's Word this morning. Just know that the topic's a little bit heavier uh, with uh, some of the, the, the content, just for any younger kids. I'm just going to say that as a disclaimer. Let me pray as I dive in. God, Thank you so much for this chance to be in your house and to celebrate you through worship and just even have fun together as a family. We pray for uh, those of us that aren't here, that are enjoying uh, weekend plans, that you'd bless them and they'd encounter you as well, uh, even in your creation this morning. I pray that you'd speak to us uh, this morning through this text, that I would be small and you'd be great, uh, that this wouldn't be a message for the person down the road, that you'd speak specifically to us about these topics. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, we're in chapter 5, and we're gradually working our way through this book. Hopefully you've been as blessed as I have been in this series. And if you remember, the kind of the first half of the, the book has a little bit more emphasis about our new identity in Jesus Christ. And then the second half moves towards a little bit more of the practical if this is true about us and our identity, then how should we live differently? Are you tracking with that? And the, the, this is how this morning's text goes as well. Definitely moves towards the practical. Chapter 5, verse 1 says this, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We'll pause there just for a little bit of uh, explanation. The first thing you know we always point to is what's the therefore, therefore, the kind of the idea behind that. He had just finished talking about the forgiveness that we receive in Jesus Christ. And so because of that forgiveness, we're called to be imitators of Christ. Not that we're doing things, and this is so key, not a, a response. It's, it is a response to love not a pursuit of love. Get that? Not a, it's a response to love, not a pursuit for love. So we're not trying to gain favor with God. We have God's favor, but a natural overflow or response to the grace that he's extended to us is for us to, and you've heard uh, flattery or, or uh, what's the right term for that? When you, when you mimic somebody, that's like the best form of flattery. And that's the idea here is that we're invited to literally mimic or copy 
Jesus Christ. Although it starts there with the invitation to copy God. And I thought it's interesting because really this is just them being invited to, to live out their new nickname. You not, might not know this, but the early church, they were one of the, the terms, derogatory terms that they're described as they're trying to follow Jesus, is they were called little Christ. Little Christ. That was kind of a, supposed to be a, a term of, uh, to, to mock them. But in fact, that's where we get and we see in Acts 1126, that's where we got initially the name Christians from. So these are new, new titled Christians, little Christ, people that are known for that because they're modeling their behavior after the one that they're following. And so the same call was true for this church in Ephesus. He's saying, listen, I want you to model your life. I want you to mimic. First, he starts by, by saying, being imitators of God as beloved children, we stop and think about that at first, though, uh, like that, that can seem like a pretty daunting task to, to be an imitator of God. Like a, when I read about God in the scripture, I see him as dwelling in unapproachable light. I see him as being omniscient. I see him as being omnipresent. And you're like, well, which, which aspects of, the, of that am I actually supposed to follow? I, I'd like the unapproachable light idea, but uh, not doesn't seem attainable. But instead... Uh, he gives, goes more practical in verse 2 and says, And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So literally the visual demonstration, and you know this, the visual demonstration of how to mimic or model our lives after God is to model our lives after Jesus Christ. It's a practical, tangible way to see how we're supposed to navigate this life in, a, in just a, in, in, in a practical terms. Be imitators of Christ, and we do that by watching and doing what Christ did. You ever notice how much easier it is to do something after you've watched someone else do it? I uh, was with my family at uh, California Adventure, our first trip to Disney a couple of weeks ago. I was, was kind of fun. And one of my highlights of my day, this is weird. Some people do the ride, say the rides and stuff. I liked going in and they have that thing where you sit down with a pad of paper and you have somebody go up in front. Have you guys done this? Anybody here? Somebody goes up in front, one of the animators. And they draw, this isn't mine, this was my niece's, I think for some years back. Uh, but they draw just step by step. Is this new information or have some people done this? Step, step by step, they do this drawing and you like draw this circle, then you add this. And before you know it, it didn't make any sense at all when you're drawing the different, the different parts. But once you start piecing it together after you're modeling, you do exactly what they, they say it, you do it. They say it, you do it. After you, you do that for a while, you're like, wait a second, that kind of looks like goofy. See, it did work. And that's, I think a five-year-old did that. And, uh, and you start to think about it, that's the similar idea that he's calling us to. He says, the more you actually, you, you watch, you do what he did, then you watch a little bit more, do what he did. That's the simple calling that he's giving his audience. Watch and do, watch and do. And you love, if you think through this, that's why there's four accounts of Jesus' life in the, the Scripture. The, the four Gospels are literally step by step. Watch what he did, the way he, he served, and the way that he sacrificed. Watch what he did, and then do it, apply it yourself. 
It's a beautiful calling to be mimickers of God. And this was always God's intent. In fact, in Romans 8.29, it tells us that God redeemed us from sin to conform us in the image of His Son. We're supposed to be coming, looking more and more like Him every day. And you got to recognize, though, that in that, as we see even in the text here, what does it say? Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. That in walking like, the, like him, just know that it's a guarantee that this type of walking in love is a life of sacrifice. It's giving up my wants, my desires, my rights, all of those things. That's part of it is a life of sacrifice that he's calling us to. And it's beautiful to think this last, last section that we have the potential to be a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Sometimes you think to yourself, you're like, well, God did so much for me. What, how could I ever repay him? Or what, what can I do to respond? And you're kind of baffled by that. And here in the text, we see, you know how you do it? How you can respond to him? How, not pay back, but how you respond to what he's done. It's, man, live like Jesus did. Respond like him. That has the potential to bring, and this is just mind-boggling, that the creator of the universe, we have the potential to bring a sweet aroma to his nostrils. It's kind of weird to think. I don't, I don't know what are things that you enjoy smelling. For me, my, my wife, when her parents are in town, they, they grow up on a farm, and they make every single morning a legit breakfast, and one ingredient, who thinks they can guess what this ingredient is every single morning when they're visiting? That's right, the, the beautiful smell. I'm not talking healthy turkey bacon. I'm talking legit bad for you, pork, whatever it is that they do with that. Like, the smell of bacon is intoxicating. It's amazing. Is anybody else like the smell of bacon in here? Yeah. And, and so, and so th- there's something about that that like, man, for me, man, the smell of bacon, I, I, I'm one over. I, uh, even if I have a salad and it has bacon on it, there's some redeeming value to that salad. But, um, but, but you, th- you think about that, that us, and we don't know exactly what it is that actually pleases God. Actually, we see it here. The sweet aroma to God is our acts of service, when we model our lives, when we're intentional about this, when we're like, man, I, w- I love the bracelets we used to all wear. What would Jesus do? And we're asking that question and actually responding to it through our day. That is a sweet aroma to Almighty God. It's an awesome thing. The alternative, so that's genuine love, a love of sacrifice. Look in verse 3 with the alternative of what John MacArthur describes as counterfeit love. Look in verse 3, it says, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving." A lot of times when you're reading scripture, upon first glance, you're like, wait a second, how does, we're just talking about walking in love. How does, how does sexual immorality even relate to that? It seems like it just jumps major topic differences. And you're like, but, wait, but when you start to think about it, you dig in a little bit more. What you see here is that God or Paul or God through Paul is contrasting 
the beautiful love that God designed with God, the opposite, which would be counterfeit love that's based on selfishness and being lustful and self-indulgent. It's the exact opposite. The two can't coexist with each other. Counterfeit love is, is a love that's based on attraction or what you can get from something or someone in return. There's an expectation of giving little and getting much. Maybe that's why we tend to like pornography so much as a culture. Give little, it promises to give much. We'll see a little bit later in the text that it always underdelivers. So that this kind of love, this counterfeit love, only lasts until the loved object no longer satisfies. Till it no longer satisfies. And that's the vicious cycle that we see so many people trapped in is this counterfeit love based on attraction and what you can receive back. And then when you all of a sudden it starts to disappoint and you're like, wait a second, on to the next attempt of counterfeit love. He's saying, oh, you Christians, you cry little Christ, you can't live like that anymore. It's a, it's a, the, the two can't coexist, a life of genuine love and a life of sexual immorality and purity and covetousness. Look at those three different descriptors there. Sexual immorality, it comes from the word pornea in the Greek, which means it includes every type of sexual activity outside the confines of marriage, kind of a Drunk, uh, a junk drawer, if you will, kind of a, a collection of anything that's outside of what God has established is the right way for sex. Sex was intended to be an awesome thing in the context of marriage. It's something God designed. It's not a bad thing, but he created it to be particularly in the, the, the confines of marriage. So we see here that every type of sexual immorality is pushed against. Then he says he includes that, and purity is kind of self-explanatory. But then the third word there, covetousness. You're just like, how do those words, how, does, how do those coexist? How does that relate? But if you think about it, as, as reflecting on this in my office even this week, covetousness is exactly that. Every type of sexual immorality is an expression of covetousness, which is wanting something you don't already have, right? Isn't that what sexual immorality leads us to? Wanting something forbidden that you don't already have. Coveting what somebody else has. Wanting something that wasn't intended for you. So he describes those things and he's saying, man, you can't have any part of those things because... Counterfeit love masquerades as something beautiful, but at its altar, spouses are forsaken, children are neglected, homes destroyed, friends disregarded, and lives ruined. Think about that for a moment. That's why we're called, instead of necessarily just resisting it, we're called to run the opposite direction. I like what Larry Osborne says. He says, spiritual maturity is no match for sexual temptation. Again, spiritual maturity is no match for sexual temptation. We're intended, we're told multiple places in Scripture, we're intended to run from it, to go the opposite direction of it. I have a friend in Chicago who's a a young adults pastor, and uh, I thought it was funny when he was uh, dating his wife, probably he's been married only just maybe five years, and uh, when he was dating his 
his uh, then-girlfriend, uh, now-wife, he kept, just as a reminder, when they'd go on a date, in his back seat, he kept a pair of running shoes sitting in the middle of the seat. And then you'd ask, like, what are, what are, what are, why would you do that? Like, what are those there? And he would, he's clear as a bell. It's a, it's a reminder that if things get too hot, I need to run from there. I, I don't know if he ever, like, slipped them on. Can you imagine in the middle of the date? He's like, sorry, you know, like, uh, but he, here's the, the, the idea there, that it's not something to be toyed with. It's dangerous. I like the description of uh, sex kind of being like fire, where when it's within the confines of what God put the right parameters, it's wonderful. When it's in a fireplace, it brings warmth within a home. Think about that. You have a fireplace, not that it ever gets cold enough for one here, but if you do have one, like it's a, it's a, it's a blessing to just kind of enjoy time in front of that. It's in the nice brick enclosure. It's safe. It's, it's within the right confines. But what happens when it gets outside of that? If a spark jumps out even to the house, you're like, it's vulnerable. Anybody seen a house that's been burnt to the ground? You're like, what in the world? The damage that fire can do when it's not used properly is unbelievable. The same can be said for sexuality, for sexual immorality. It takes us down some really dark roads. So you think about this when he gets pretty intense here. He says, it's not even to be named among you not even to be named. It's not to be talked about. He says, let there be no filthiness, foolish talk, or crude joking, which is out of place, which is out of place. Think about those things, and you're like, wow, that's, that's a little bit legalistic, isn't it? Isn't that a little bit uptight? You know, like, uh, can't we just joke around about it a little bit? You ever notice that one of the cues, one of the clues that you're getting closer with somebody, a friend, is the ability that you feel comfortable joking around with them, right? Like with somebody like Cameron, I can joke around about how bad that hat, hat looks on, on him right now. And uh, just kidding, it doesn't. Uh, but, uh, but because like he's around the church all the time, we goof around together, it's no big deal. You see, when there's a level of comfort where it's just commonplace, I like your hat, Cameron. Uh, it's when, it's, when, you're, when you're comfortable with somebody, it just becomes commonplace. You're at ease with it. And I su- would suggest that that's the same here, that it's something that has the potential to be extremely dangerous and extremely damaging. We can all point to somebody whose life has been ruined and wrecked because of poor choices with sexual uh, promiscuity, whatever. And you're like, that's why I say don't even joke about it. Don't even talk about it. Don't even endorse it with our laughter. And this is hard, isn't it? Like, man, on television, man, there's so many things that you're like, oh, that was super funny. I know it was crass, but it was funny. This calls us to live differently, to be set apart, to be different than the culture. Is it uptight? I didn't write it in here, but guess what? Our God calls us to it to it because he knows what a serious issue this is. He calls us to live differently. Describes it, he says, which are out of place. Those things being out of place. I remember when I was in high school, I had a, a crush on a particular girl in uh, many, many years pre-Adrian. 
and uh, had a crush on this girl, and a really cute girl. And remember, I was, finally had built up the nerve to talk to her. I was like breaking the ice. Do you guys remember this? Like uh, anxious time. Guys, we go through a lot with this, ladies, just so you know. And uh, finally, I, 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 I forget what I said, broke the ice. And in the first like five minutes of conversation, she had a mouth like a trucker. Like she was like this, like she had the, like the worst, like blankety blank, this, this, and this. All of a sudden, you know what happened? Like, she wasn't that attractive anymore, right? You, you know why? It didn't fit. It, it, it was out of place. It wasn't consistent with what you would assume from something beautiful. And you think about similarly for us as a Christ follower, he's saying, ah, it just doesn't work. It's not you. It's awkward. It's weird when you hear somebody talking like that and you know that they're claiming to follow Christ. So he calls us to live differently and have nothing to do with it. He suggests an alternative. Do you see it there in the text at the end of verse 4? It says, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. As an alternative to talking about crummy stuff, he says, as an alternative, the best antidote for covetousness is what? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Rather than desiring or wanting something you don't have, thanksgiving is going to the, the, the giver of all give, good gifts and saying, thank you, God. For what I do have, that's the best way to dispel covet or destroy covetousness in our lives is thanksgiving. That's what he invites us to as an alternative for speech. Beautiful thing. It's so interesting how he chooses to link our speech to where our heart's at and the actions that we move in. So walk away from counterfeit love because this is serious stuff. Look in verse 5. He takes this really seriously. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Whew. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the Son's of disobedience. Now there is some straight talk, right? There is some pretty intense language in there. If you think about it, he starts by saying, you're sure of this. In other words, be completely certain and understand this is not up for debate that the person characterized, listen to this, characterized by the sins Paul just condemned will not enter God's kingdom, but will experience his wrath person that's characterized by these things. You say, you say to yourself for a second here, whoa, 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 Scott, wait a second. I fall into sexual sin. I have impure thoughts. I covet. Does this mean I'm not going to heaven, right? When you read that, tell me that's not the thought that you have. That's the, that's the immediate thought. Notice, though, a couple things. It does say in the text there, and this is where it's important to read in the whole of Scripture, it says everyone who is sexually immoral or is impure or is covetousness. There's a hint of the idea that it's going beyond something that someone struggles with to something that they've just embraced as a lifestyle. See, I see consistently in Scripture, there's all kinds of grace and patience with those who are battling and struggling against sin. But those, once someone has submitted and adopted it as a pattern or habitual uh, pattern in their life, that's when it gets a bit concerning, right? 
When all of a sudden there's a submission to sin and you're like, no, that's just who I am. Gets especially concerning when people start adopting their area of struggle as part of their identity. How often have we heard, even present day, someone say, that's, I'm sorry, that's just the way God made me. They, they start adopting their sin as part of their identity. That's a dangerous place to be. Because God didn't make somebody that way. God made people with the free will choice. And our decisions our ancestors have made has rippled down from generation to generation. And I totally agree that different people have different bents towards sin, right? You have your area that you're maybe struggling with, that there's a, a heavy tug with. And I might have my area. You might, And we shared in this room, we're going to do an open mic next week. No, I'm just kidding. But, uh, but honestly, that's, that's, that's the way that it works. We all have an area that, that's our struggle, that's our, our, our pool. But when we start to adopt that and say, that's who I am, that's concerning. That's concerning. If I struggled with, with lying and just said, sorry, I'm just, I'm just a liar. That's who I am. You'd be like, no, you, you can resist that. You don't have to be a, a liar. Well, the same would be said for any sexual temptation. Just because you have a bent towards it, just because there's a tug in that direction doesn't mean that it defines you, especially as a Christ follower. There's all kinds of grace when there's some resistance. In fact, resistance is a cue or a clue that the Holy Spirit's at work in your life, right? Haven't you noticed that? Even the longer you follow the Lord, things that used to be no big deal and you just blaze past them, now there's these alarms that go off and you're like, oh, I wish those alarms weren't always there. It'd be a lot easier to sin. Uh, but but, but, but here, here, God's given us a conscience that says, man, you can't do that. That's not who you are anymore. Things have changed. Those are evidences. And that's what he's pointing at. When you've submitted, when that's become who you are habitually, you've got to ask the question, about God's, Jesus' lordship in our life. That's what he's pointing to. And he says, he says, don't be deceived. He says, let no one deceive you with empty words. In other words, those who want to tell you that sin is tolerable and deny that God will deny unrepentant sinners from his kingdom, you've got to dispel that. It's true, this whole God's wrath thing. I didn't write it. It's there. It's throughout Scripture that God responds to our sin. There is consequence for our action. I was hearing about a, a friend that had been to the uh, campus of Facebook, where they have their, their offices, their main headquarters. I think it's maybe up in Sacramento area. I don't know. Somebody correct me. Where is it? San Francisco, Sacramento. Okay, either way, that's not the point. The point is, uh, at, at, the, at their campus, they have all these different vending machines. And in their vending machines, from what I understand, everything is free, which is sweet, right? I, like, I, I just want to go visit just for that. But, but here's the thing that they did that was interesting, is next to each item in the vending machine, so next to a Snickers bar, it'll point, put next to it 35 minutes on the treadmill. Next to this item, it'll give, it, it'll give a, a, not caloric counts, but what it actually, ta- the, the consequence, the cost of that. You see, I think that's kind of cool. If I had that in my kitchen, I'd be messed up. But, um, <laughs> but you, think, you think about that, it's important to understand that God doesn't ignore, his, his wrath makes no peace with immorality. 
His wrath makes no peace with immorality. He doesn't play nicely with sin. He, he can't tolerate it. He wants nothing to do with it. And that's why it's so important that we're covered by the grace of Jesus Christ because otherwise, who could stand? Amen? So here, he calls us to that. He points out to the fact that there's a lot at stake here. I was at the gym this past week, and I overheard a couple guys talking, and one of the guys I knew, I heard him say some words that broke my heart. He said, he said you know what? He says, in hell, they already have a room reserved for me. I was just like, oh, man, you, you just don't understand the, the gravity of the decisions that you're making now. The choices in this lifetime really does affect your eternity. There's a lot at stake here. This is serious stuff. That's why he's saying, listen, if there's no fruits, if there's no fruits of righteousness in your life, it's got to be concerning as to who is leading your life is his big idea here. He continues with that theme in verse 7. He says, so you're, you're called to align with your new identity. It says, therefore, do not become partners with them, people that were living like described there, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. A lot there going on. Basically, he's pointing out this idea that because you're surrounded with people that are objects or eventual objects of God's wrath, you want to keep as much distance as possible. On a much lighter note, I grew up in a, in a family that was, um, uh, was a spanking family. If you're in trouble, you got a sore butt. Anybody else grow up in a family like that? Like that was the environment that I was raised in. I know different people have different convictions about that, but that was my reality uh, growing up. And so one thing I learned over the years, though, and maybe you learned this as well, is if you have a sibling that was about to get whacked... You wanted to get as much distance as possible so that there was no collateral damage, right? Anybody like that? When you saw that your sibling was in trouble, you're like, man, I'm, I'm out of here because I, I don't want to catch a, a stray swing. I don't want to catch a, you know, I, I, I want to avoid this situation. I want to flee from it. And I think on a more heavy note, that's a bit, bit of what Paul's describing. He says, man, you don't want to partner with them. You don't want to surround yourself with them. They're not headed in a good place. So he's saying to flee that. And instead, for he says that that he's, he says you, you're to walk in the light. I love this because it's all about identity. There it says for at one time you were darkness. I find that fascinating. He's not he's not saying at one time you were in darkness or you did dark things. He's saying you were you were literally defined by darkness. You were the epitome of darkness before Christ. But now, what does it describe now? It says, but now you are light. You are light. Not, not you have light. It, your, your identity has shifted, a pretty drastic shift from complete darkness to complete light. So he's saying now, because of that, you need to operate in a consistent pattern with who you are. He's saying, just be yourself in a sense, we're in a culture that loves to sing that phrase. Well, what if we apply, apply that here? Be yourself. You're no longer darkness. You are light. And so act accordingly to that. And he says that in that, that new way of living, as you walk as children of light, 
It says, For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. So somebody that's walking in this light, there's markers, there's particular things that you should see as evidence. What does it point to? What are some of the, the fruits of light? It says that the, these different things that you're intended to be good and right and true. Those, those are all things that are to be characteristics of somebody. If you were, play with me here for a second, if you were an orange tree and you became an apple tree, what would be the way that you could tell that the difference was complete? When the, the change had happened, you were an orange tree, you became an apple tree. What would you look for on this apple tree to confirm that it truly was an apple tree? Whoo, yes, you guys, you passed the test. That, 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 that's awesome. That, that's at a fifth grade level. Nice job. No, but, uh, <laughs> but, but in all seriousness, isn't that the same idea? Isn't that the same exact idea? If you're, if you're no longer in darkness, you're intended to live in light, there should be some apples. There should be some light fruit. You know, I, I don't know what the, the right idea, but it describes what the, that is. It says, the, man, you're marked then by being good, by doing what's right, by being no, known for truth. Those are things that should mark and describe somebody that's living in the light. It's a natural result. Fruit isn't something that you work on real hard and, okay, I'm going to produce fruit. You're like, no, it's a natural result from being in proximity to the sun. That works, right? You think about somebody that gets back from a vacation. They got a nice bronze tan or maybe a nice uh, bright red, whatever it is that happens to you on. Uh, what's the first question that you ask them? You're like, oh, where have you been, right? You've clearly been somewhere in the sun, right? That's the, the natural thing. And you're like, oh, yeah, I was in Bermuda or I was in wherever. Um, uh, you, you come back and that's the natural response. It's like, yes, I, I've been somewhere. And, and isn't that the same here? This is a natural response to having been, work with me here, in the sun. In the sun, different sun, S-O-N. The, the, the idea is that we're called to walk in our new identity. Walk in our new identity. And, he's, and then he says that the way we do that is we try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. That should be what marks our days, marks our lives, marks our interactions. Okay, this just happened to me. Well, how would I respond that would be pleasing to the Lord? How should I respond? And the truth be told, I was thinking about the, the, this this week, it's not usually an issue of not knowing what would be pleasing to the Lord. Any, anybody agree, confess to that? It's not usually a knowledge issue. It's a acting out what you know would be pleasing to the Lord. Rarely in a dispute with my spouse do I not know what would be pleasing to the Lord in my response to the situation, right? That's not an issue. It's, an act of, it's acting out what we already know. God hasn't left us with too many things to wonder about the appropriate response, but he calls us to try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And we'll end with this, verse 11. He calls us not just to, to walk away from it, to actually expose darkness. It says, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. 
So it kind of puts the finishing touches on this idea here by the calling not just to not participate, but also to expose the darkness around us. That's an interesting thing that we're called to because you're kind of like, what does that look like? But if you think about it, that is often within the body of Christ. Remember, he's writing to a church. Within the body of Christ, sometimes that's the greatest act of love you can do for somebody. You can say, listen, I started going down that road, especially some of us senior saints. We can, you can say, I started going down that road, and that did not go well. Trust me, you don't want to go there. How many times do we do that with our kids, right? Trust me, that's a bad decision. I've learned that. We need to expose darkness. I, um, I do a little bit of uh, playing on eBay and uh, purchasing things to save a few bucks. I think I joked about that a few weeks ago. One of the things that's so helpful is you have the feedback for each individual. Anybody else ever on eBay? Well, before you buy something, you can read whether or not the person you're buying from is reliable, is trustworthy. Feedback exposes darkness. Work with me here. It it, it exposes the fact that some people, you're like, ah, that's not a good idea to, to, to work with them. And here's what this does. It exposes unfruitful works of darkness. Listen to that expression talking about uh, darkness. Darkness is unfruitful. In other words, it promises that it's going to be so good, but it doesn't bear the fruit that it promises you. Like, oh, it's going to be awesome this time. No, it wasn't. Still isn't. Tomorrow it's not going to be anymore. We're called to expose that, to protect others around us from being burned by something that never lives up to what it promises. Are you tracking with me? That that's what he's calling them to, and that's part of the way that we sharpen each other. And he says, man, once, you, once the light starts getting on and exposed to stuff, then other people see it. And they're like, see it for what it is, a liar. You start to see the light is exposed. I don't, I don't know if anybody had... Uh, has gotten up after like a, a late night or whatever, and you go in the bathroom for the first time, you turn on the, the light, and you're just like, ugh. Would anybody have that experience ever? You're like, my eyes are puffy, um, I, whatever. I've got, I've got uh, drool dried on my mouth. That's gross, sorry. Uh, but here, there's something about light that exposes ugliness, and you're just like, I got to I gotta do something about that. Like, there's some, there's not much I can do. Actually, uh, I, I kind of am what I am. Uh, but, but, he, but here's the, um, here's the the picture though. That that light, once something is brought into the light, we have the ability to see it for exactly what it is. That's what he's saying here. He's saying, man, I want you to to see sin for what it is, for what a liar it is, how it makes all kinds of false promises and never, ever delivers. I want you to see it for fruitful, and I want you to help others to see it for being the unfruitful thing that it is. That's what he invites them to, and he ends with this statement. It's a beautiful uh, quote from Isaiah 61. He says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead. I wonder if that was for the person in the little church where this letter is being read that maybe has said, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Jesus follower, but they know in their heart of hearts 
There's no consistency in their life. There's no, no pattern of, of righteousness or God transforming, doing a work. I wonder if it was a call for the person that was really living a life that wasn't genuinely following Christ. Wake up. Come out of the darkness. Allow him to expose all this. Break out of these habitual patterns that mark the fact that you're not truly following Christ. He calls them to live differently. This is definitely some straight talk, but wouldn't you rather have that in your life than somebody that just says, hey, everything's okay. It's going to be great. Everybody's going to heaven. We're all going to sing Kumbaya someday. It's going to be great. No, I would rather know the truth so that you know how you can respond to it. Responding to the truth that we're invited to walk in the light, to follow, to mimic Jesus Christ. He's saying that's going to save you all kinds of heartache and pain. Not to mention some of these things where the intensity elevates when he's talking, man, eternity stuff is on the line here. This is a big deal. Hopefully, this is a blessing for you like it was in my study this week. Let me pray as we close. God, I thank you for this text and your word this morning. I thank you for your grace and patience with us, especially as it relates to sexual stuff. We're surrounded with it. We're bombarded with it. You've called us out of that to break free, to be set apart. It no longer defines us. We finally have the option to say no. Pray that we'd live in that this week, that we'd be mimickers looking to discern what is your will, looking to discern how you would respond in situations. You promise that if we resist, if we flee, you'll meet us in that. You'll provide a way out. Thank you for being a straight shooter with us, God. We ask now for your strength. We recognize fully that our one hope for walking in love, for doing any of this, is clinging to the power of your Holy Spirit. We can't do this on our own. We fully want to acknowledge that week in and week out, we're dependent on you. God, I pray this week as we try to partner with you in this effort, this divine human partnership you've invited us to, that you change us, that you wake us up, God, to live set apart, to be different. Pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. And that is the cry of our hearts. Our hearts would be fully his, not our will, but his be done. These messages are never intended to compel or move somebody towards guilt and shame. They're always meant to compel us to live differently, to model our lives after Jesus Christ. Let's do that this week. Amen. Have a great Sunday. God bless you.